There's an interesting statistics coming from Germany, which shows that people who've been through an upskilling process have got uh, 40% less chance to be uh, in danger in the future. Not only they have been enhancing their, their skills profile, but also basically they start relearning as a process and they keep learning. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Talent Playbook Podcast. My name is Jason Ferrara. I'm the Chief Marketing and Strategy Officer at Outmatch and your host for the podcast. Our podcast focuses on strategies for transforming your world of work. So during each podcast, we highlight someone who has transformed their organization or industry in a significant way. Today's guest is Christian Scharf, partner of People and Organization at PwC Luxembourg. Christian is a pioneer of the upskilling movement. His mastery of upskilling is really on display in this conversation, not only with the work he's done and is doing at PwC, but also during his career. In fact, Christian co-authored the book on upskilling called Upskill, Six Steps to Unlock Economic Opportunity for All. Check it out where you buy your books. Christian does an excellent job of describing the impact of upskilling on companies, but even more importantly, upskilling's impact on people and the real changes that upskilling can make in people's lives. So without any further delay, please enjoy the Talent Playbook podcast with Christian Scharf. Christian, thanks for joining the show today. Uh, really looking forward to having you on and, and talk a little bit about your career and talk about upskilling. So uh, thanks for joining. A uh, real pleasure, Jason, really. So the first thing I'd like to have you do is just describe your job and your role. Um, uh, you know, you and I know each other, but I think the listening audience doesn't know you. So how about a, just a quick introduction of yourself and, and what it is that you do? Yes, I think it makes sense. Um, so, um I'm I'm 53. I'm I'm a partner at uh, at PwC for nine years now. I'm working at what we call People Organization, which is our HR advisory uh, business. Uh, I'm a partner out of PwC Luxembourg. That might be uh, or sounds very remote for many of the audience, most of the audience. Um, so Luxembourg, which is uh, between Germany, France, and Belgium, uh, mm -hmm. and um, and so basically, I'm 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 a partner in what we call here. Um, transformation and technology and i'm really looking at how organizations are transforming and what's the role of hr to guide them through uh, with the support of technology if i should summarize it that's that's the way we are currently dealing with this topic yeah great and yeah i mean i i don't think luxembourg sounds remote obviously pwc is a global organization so tell me a little bit about how you interact globally with with other pwc offices and other pwc clients well, as you know, we, we, we are a network and um, we are organized by, by big regions and by also by, uh, by competencies. Uh, and so basically, uh, we, we divide uh, the world in, uh, in big regions like APAC, the Americas, uh, uh, EMEA. Uh, I'm, I'm leading the EMEA uh, technology and transformation. Um, and of course, we are liaising with, uh, with my colleagues at, at the global level. This is maybe the first coordination piece. But we are also kind of uh, experts, uh, SMEs, which are interacting across uh, the territories when needed and are part of that team. And certainly on uh, the two topics we are talking today, uh, one being technology, the other one being really uh, the upskill part. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So transformation and technology is a big is a big title. I think it sounds very exciting. Um, but but tell us a little bit like what does transformation and technology mean and uh, how did you get 
how did you get started the, in, in that discipline within within PwC? Well, that's a, that's a long story, and maybe it's a, also a personal journey. You know, um, um, if 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 you want my, my my quick resume in two minutes, just to understand, uh, and and it, it has a logic with uh, with the topic I'm dealing with today. I joined the army when I was 14. I did uh, maybe the equivalent of West Point, so I, I did the military academy. I was an officer. Uh, at 25, I decided uh, to to change career and to go to HR. That might seem uh, bizarre for some of the people in the audience, but I, I really liked that uh, that field. So I became an HR director in a pharma group. Uh, I was uh, doing pharma for five years, and I switched to a, a well-known American corporation called Rockwell that was based in San Diego, but I was uh, dealing with their automation arm uh, based in Milwaukee. So uh, I was in an EMEA position already at that time for, for three years. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly I decided to, to, to stop and to do something totally different uh, and that was based on a family call. Uh, and I decided to become, uh, you're well-seated, uh, a car dealer. So uh, mm-hmm. I took over the, the family business. I became a car dealer, uh, learning about paint shop and selling cars. Um, I restructured that business, and when it was over, I handed it over to family, and then I came back to HR in a bank. And then during nine years, I was uh, running the HR uh, global position in a, in a bank, um, and I've been through the, the crisis, uh, the one of early 2000, but of course also the one of 2008, with the huge, uh, which, uh, huge growth, uh, with creations, uh, acquisitions, uh, GVs, etc. But I've also been to the other a downside with a lot of closures. And um, well, at the end of that, I, I went into consulting, um, been around uh, a lot of geographies, been around a lot of different businesses, working in the public sector, working uh, for my own, uh, for private companies in the pharma, in, in the automation, uh, in car, and of course in, a, um, in the banking one. So I decided maybe it was, it was a good idea to, to do consulting. And when this uh, this transformation piece came in, um, you know, uh, three, four, five years ago, we, we could spot that there was something happening and we could really see the wave coming of the shortage of talents globally. Uh, mm-hmm. And in the beginning, there were some early signals, for instance, in the IT sector, where there were some uh, white paper produced uh, saying, you know, we're going to miss something like uh, 700,000 IT guys by, uh, by uh, 2025. You know, mm-hmm. we could see all those early signals and we, we, we would also be able to look at demography and coming and looking at the signal saying, well, we're going to be in shortage of people. And basically, uh, if, you, if you made the mix of uh, what I've been through and, um, and also my appetite maybe for technology, then it was kind of obvious to me that there was something to do in kind of uh, upskilling people. Uh, I should mention as well that uh, together with a colleague, we were uh, heavily involved in, uh, in uh, public policies at EU level, European level. Uh, because we were working uh, very closely with the uh, European Commission uh, on, on some of those topics and with a lot of European uh, labor ministers. And I think this is that's, that's, uh, that setup that made basically that I went into that, uh, that business of upskilling today. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for that. I mean, a varied experience that you've got and, and deep experience in different industries. And I, I think you're right that that sets up the conversation for for upskilling. So let's jump in to talk a little bit about uh, about upskilling now. Um, and and I'll I'll try to come back to talk a little bit about your experience and, and how it relates to upskilling when, when we get there. So I guess, first of all, let's define upskilling uh, for us so that we understand, you know, what we're talking about. Yeah, that's I think that's a good idea. 
Um, and because that could already be kind of a generic word today because we see that that word kind of everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, we, are, <clears throat> we are really talking about upskilling when we see someone acquiring a new set of uh, qualification and competencies, w- which means basically that uh, we're not talking about uh, giving a few days training uh, just like a maintenance training, if you if you wish. Uh, we are really talking about uh, changing the skill set of someone to enhance its competency profile. Um, to give kind of a, a threshold, we would start talking about upskilling when we are kind of uh, talking about at least, say, 15, 20, 25 days training full-time uh, where someone could really learn something new. And we are not, absolutely not talking about the kind of two or three days yearly maintenance. We are really talking about changing the skill set, getting someone to learn when he's an accountant to learn to be, for instance, a data analyst and learning to manipulate Python, this kind of stuff, you know, something which really kind of make the profile of the person different on the labor market or in the internal market. So really upskilling is the is the notion that that a, a person in in a job A can be trained and learn to do job B, right? Within the same company or different company? How does that how does that work? Well, actually, uh, most of the case we see now is, is in the same company. Uh, and I think that that makes perfectly sense. Um, uh, again, if you look at the, the labor market these days, uh, and if you look at the difficulty to hire, you can clearly see that uh, uh, that, that, that rate of difficulty to hire is kind of growing all the time. And that's uh, a lot of companies are suffering the fact that it's very hard to find people. Uh, so it's in, in most of the case, at least in what I see, uh, there are companies willing to reskill people, to upskill people for their own purpose. And if you look at the recent announcements, uh, for instance, in the US of Amazon, who's been announcing recently that they want to upskill 70,000 people for, uh, oh no, 100,000 people for $700 million. I mean, it's exactly where we go. I mean, this is, we have our people, we are changing technology, we might change slightly of business model. Uh, we need people to evolve and to be able to take the next position. Uh, and basically, we prefer to take our own people because we know them. They know us. Um, they know the culture. We don't need onboarding. There is no recruitment cost. And actually, when you look at the business case of, of upskilling, uh, if you look at upskilling versus uh, rehiring, and of course, if you rehire, it means that before you've been a person who was made redundant, um, well, basically, there is there is a it's phenomenally uh, positive for for upskilling. It, it's really really worthwhile doing that operation. So, it, upskilling is the transformation part of of your role with with PwC. Like you you consult with with companies to say here here's what transformation looks like across your organization, and you should be employing upskilling for that. Is that is that what you're what you're doing with clients? That's that's a simplification of it because obviously uh, for, for most of the client it is not that simple. Um, usually you've got uh, either uh, a transformation of the business model and in between that you've got uh, some job which are transforming. Uh, you've got the role of HR which is evolving. Uh, you might have carve outs. You can you can have mergers and in between all, all of those uh, business topics there is one big trunk which is uh, people. People, uh, not about their performance, not about, uh, I mean, uh, assessing whatever or paying is really about uh, we need people to get the operation to run. You know, we need people for getting the service rendered to the clients. Um, it seems a little bit odd to say so, but uh, I know companies and I know uh, 
uh, I mean, plans where they cancel as we speak the night shift because they just don't have people to run the night shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a catastrophe, honestly, in terms of uh, uh, in terms of rentability. So they, they need somewhere uh, people. Um, and, and in many business, you can see that now there are shortages. Uh, there are countries today announcing, for instance, that their GDP growth will be less than forecasted just before they lack uh, a few hundred thousand of people, if not millions of people. So it starts to be really in the in the mood and in the minds of a lot of top executives. And if you look nowadays to the, the last surveys about, you know, a CEO survey of kind of things we do, uh, you see that uh, the availability of skills of people is now hitting the top three of uh, CEO's concerns about the future, uh, which is a very strong indicator that um, not only we need, of course, to onboard, to find, to whatever, but basically we just need to have people to get the operation to run. And that's that starts to be a, a basic concern in, in many companies. Yeah, that um, the the third shift example is a great example of you know the importance of human capital to to an organization. So um, I, I want to get a little bit more specific about upskilling because I, I the way you're talking about it sounds um, more a little more complex than just training someone to do a new job. So help us understand a little bit you know the the difference between upskilling and, oh, I have an employee that I'm going to train to do something else. Yeah. So so, so basically, you, you should look at this as a process uh, because uh, you can't decide, you know, from D1, from D2 to take 15 people on, on, on the floor shop and to say those guys are going to become or they're going to operate that new uh, robotic chain that we just acquired. It doesn't work like this. So, so basically, um, and maybe I'm going to sketch uh, the way we are we, we're looking at this. Um, you need to look uh, first at a certain horizon. Um, and the horizon uh, we all have in our companies is the budget. Basically, we are all doing a budget. It's a one-year horizon. Uh, and today, the way it's reflected is full-time equivalent. Okay? So far, so good. We all do a budget. It's perfect. But honestly, nobody is looking at what's behind the FTE. We are looking at just the number of people, the number of heads. Um, but what are those guys going to perform? What kind of jobs are they going to perform? It is not described. So the first thing we ask company to do is just to sit down and to reflect about, okay, one year down the road, according to your budget, you've got in the accounting department uh, 50 FTEs, 500 mm-hmm. FTEs, okay? Are those jobs the same one than last year? This is the first question. Mm-hmm. And in most cases, of course, the answer is no. So the, the, the second question is, okay, what's the difference? And there is a very basic, uh, I mean, uh, a, a very basic calculation. These are the jobs which are remaining the same. In most cases, we are talking about 90% plus of the jobs which are remaining exactly the same one year after the other. Okay. Which job will be augmented? This is a new fashion word, eh? augmentation. So basically, the seat is still there. My chair is still in my office. But in order to be able to sit on that chair, I need to augment myself. I need to acquire a new skill set. And I will give an example in a minute. Mm-hmm. And then the third occurrence, and usually that's uh, five, six, seven, eight percent of the jobs. You know, that's the majority of the jobs are going to be transformed. They go through augmentation. And then you've got the last bit, which are the jobs we are, which are going to disappear. And I'd like to kill an elephant here because I mean, the lot of there are a lot of publication articles saying about a lot of jobs will disappear through robotization, etc. Of course, they are, um, and these are the two or three percent, uh, maybe on an annual basis, that are going to be disappearing. But 
At the other part of the uh, equation, you've got all the new jobs which are going to be appearing. Also due to technology, but also because some people are retiring because we are opening a new shop or a new, uh, a, a new fabric or whatever. Um, so a new plant. So basically, you've got that equation of job disappearing and job appearing. And the only thing we want to look at this stage, if I'm looking at my one-year uh, budget horizon, is mm -hmm. the two last bits, being the people whose job will be augmented and the people whose job will be disappearing. And, you know, usually, again, it's between 5 and 10% of the workforce, no more. But those guys, uh, their job is at stake. And we have the opportunity because we are reducing the scope to those, to those 5 to 10% to take care of these people and to look at what they could be doing one year down the road. I'm going to make a stop here because mm -hmm. um, when you look at um, those guys and, and, and you are looking at these people, um, obviously, they have skills. And today, mm -hmm. they are performing a job. Say they are accountants, okay? And usually, we are all lacking imagination because when you've got an accountant, the next job you're looking for is an accountancy job, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, whereas your skills profile could lead you to very different things. And so the first thing we need to understand is, and that's the next step in what we try to do with companies is, okay, let's take these five, seven, eight percent people. What are their skills? What are the skill sets, both on the soft side and the hard side? Um, and I insist on both because you know, as I know, and, and our auditors clearly know that that topic, soft skills are in very high demand and are part of most of jobs which are really in high demand. This is a very important topic. So the soft skills part, is really something which is important that we need to look at. Uh, and then, of course, you have the hard skills, which is the thing, of course, there is an SAP specialist, an accountant, uh, he knows uh, RFRS of whatever. Um, so it's a very the, the hard part. And the combination of that is the skills of someone. And to be honest, in most companies, we have little clue about the global picture of our 5 to 8% people. So we need to assess somewhere uh, those skills. There, of course, you've got two very important skills, uh, two, two very important data sets. You've got the first one, which is uh, what are the jobs of tomorrow in one year time, the augmented one and the new one. And then you've got another uh, important uh, information, which are the skills of the individual, which uh, job will be either augmented or uh, will be disappearing. So do, do you find that companies are good at looking down the road a year, two years from now at their, at their human cap, what their human capital needs will be? Or are you finding that you need to walk people through that, um, that thought process? Well, honestly, um, more the latter. Um, yeah. we, we, we see some doing workforce planning and I must say the, the, the habit differs widely from companies to companies and even from continent to continent, from region to region. Um, I think these days I see more workforce planning because that's the, the, the HR acronym buzzword which is used in companies. Uh, I see more uh, workforce planning done on an 18 to two years basis in, uh, in the US, uh, rather short term. Uh, I see more uh, three, three years plus uh, in, in the other part of the world when performed, because in many places it is not, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And when it is performed, uh, it's usually more as a trend more as a trend than on the individual, uh, really individual job. So uh, actually, you, you're fully right. We, we need usually to, 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 to get company through the process and to get them to, to see the benefit of uh, looking at this one-year threshold. And by the way, this is not by chance that we, we, we have decided to go for the one-year threshold because 
we've, we've been talking about this one-year budget horizon, which we all do. But on the individual side, it also makes sense. Let's, let me take an example. Um, if you are looking at Paul or Louise, and you, if you go to Paul and Louise and you tell her or him, your job is gone in five years' time or in three years' time, mm-hmm. what would be the normal human reaction? Well, you know, first, I've got time. And second, I'm going to think about how I can escape because nobody likes change. Right. Uh, and eventually, I will look if I can adapt and find a new job. Uh, basically, it's way too uh, far down the road. So I got, I'm going to pause one minute and, and I see what's going to happen. So basically, it doesn't trigger a lot of reaction, at least not in short term. If I do the opposite and I'm going to Paul and Louise uh, maybe three months before the job is gone or augmented, well, that's going to be the opposite because basically, uh, well, you know, I've got no time to react. I've got no time to adapt. So basically, uh, either give me the check or I'm going to fly out. And, uh, and it's a loss loss actually at the end as well. Whereas if you look at the, the one year time horizon, uh, basically then you have enough time for Paul and Louise to kind of uh, think about it. Well, it's hot enough, you know, there, there is a burning platform there to react. So I need to do something now. And if the uh, company is even proposing to accompany Paul and Louise in getting the skills for the new job, and if, let's dream a little bit together, uh, Jason, if the company would secure me a job one year down the road, because through the, this workforce planning, we know that new data analyst role or the new uh, job in the, the warehouse using um, AGV, uh, that job is available and it's for me if I'm doing the training. Then in addition, I would have the very strong motivation to do the training and to stay in that given company. So that's that's basically the, why this one-year horizon fits both the company uh, somewhere uh, spirit, but also the individual spirit. So yeah, so I, I what I'm I'd be interested in hearing some examples of of clients you work with and and this thought process about looking into the future and then just some very specific stories about people who've been through the the upskilling process, right? So it, it strikes me that this is a little bit about what a company wants and it's also about what an employee wants, right? Does this upskilling fit with their their goals and their path as as a person? So can you give me some examples of the of the clients you work with and and what they come to you and and want to do and how you help them do it yeah with pleasure i mean i'm going to take an example uh on the plants and i'm going to take an example so industry and i will take an example in the in the in the service in, in the insurance business so you you have kind of both, both legs sure. uh, let's let's start with the industry i'm talking here about uh one of the world leader in the molding business uh those guys they are really uh, very strong and market leader in, in their in their business and basically if you look at their business model today from uh, order to shipping, it's kind of 60 days, 60 mandates. Mm-hmm. They are currently re- revamping the whole process to diminish this to six mandates. Yeah, you, you heard from 60 to six, the zero is wow. out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of a dramatic improvement, of course. Sure. And of course, everything will change. Everything is digitalized. And, um, and we've been talking with those folks because basically uh, at the very early stage of the process, uh, today, so before digitization, um, you've got a bunch of engineers which are on the drawing board. And when the client has a, requ- a request to build uh, or to man- manufacture a new a new piece of, uh, I can't say the product, otherwise you'll find the, the client, but uh, a new piece of um, uh, art, we'd say, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they are discussing with the client on the drawing board. They are making some uh, specs 
and they are going going back you know uh, between the client and the engineer that can take a few days and when the, the specs are okay then you go for production well okay. today you know the client is not talking with engineers anymore he's logging into a platform where you've got some pre-standardized um uh, setup which are there the client is playing himself or herself with the uh, with the tool is designing his piece and is pushing the button and that goes to production so basically those engineers they are just gone that would be the very first story well actually they are not gone because when the client is doing so it's most of the time playing with the standard features but of course uh, we are all winning something different so there are uh, some exceptions we need to manage so it's still we need to do some uh, exceptions um, and when those exceptions are coming, well, you still need to talk to someone. And that someone, he needs to know all the softwares which are embedded in that digitized uh, platform. And, but of course, he needs to understand all the consequences of what this change will provoke in the whole production line. So basically, our, uh, our friends, the engineers that were yesterday, uh, I would say, only uh, on the drawing board, now they have to understand all the softwares embedded in, the, in this platform. They have to be trained in agility. They have to be trained in problem solving. And you know what? They had 70 of those folks in a, in a given plan. We took the 70 engineers, we retrained them, um, both on the technical and on the soft side. Uh, and the 70 engineers today are still in the plan working in their new job. So that's, that's an example. Mm -hmm. You know, we had engineers uh, kind of, I will not say old-fashioned, but uh, basically doing a very traditional job, which are now doing something which is in between uh, IT, uh, production, uh, problem solving, you know, a new type of job, which is basically the type of job of today or tomorrow. That's one example on the, on, on the, on the plan in the production. Okay. Um, let's take an example in an insurance company. Here we are talking about a middle office. That's a very classical example. Uh, a company acquires a new uh, a new middleware, uh, so they, they have they have a new piece of software to interact now with clients. And suddenly, you've got a whole layer of employees which were yesterday hidden behind their PC, and today they have to talk to clients. Oops, that's a problem because basically today uh, I don't I don't have to to talk and to engage with clients. Uh, I don't have to answer questions. Um, so I, I can really kind of, you know, push uh, left and right uh, all the questions, uh, send emails, but suddenly I'm, I'm facing the client. So what should happen? What should happen is at first we need to train those guys again in how to engage and talk to clients. We need to get those guys to learn about the new, the new, the new piece of software, obviously, but we also have to train those guys about products, insurance product in, in this case. We had to give a, a layer in, in the legal side because uh, they had to know about inheritance law and all this stuff. So basically, again, here, we are enhancing a profile that was a pure back office, middle office profile to someone who is kind of almost a front officer, not yet a salesperson, but kind of in between. But again, enhancing the profile and giving more knowledge. And again, here, it's a mixture of uh, uh, soft skills and hard skills, you know, technical, uh, legal and, and soft skills, engaging with clients, dealing with uh, a client being not happy or whatever. So th this is really a very classical examples of uh, uh, situation we're facing with clients. Make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. And um, it also makes me think of transferable skills too. So upskilling is a way that helps employees stay relevant in their existing company, but it also sounds like it's an opportunity for them to learn transferable skills for, for another company or another opportunity. Is that is that how you look at it as well? Yeah, you know, it's obvious. I mean, uh, 
uh, I always start from the from the point that people are not stupid. If you want to to get to, to ask them to make big effort and to evolve in in their in their skills to change their skills profile, it takes a big effort to be honest. Huh? Because if you are forty or forty five or fifty years old, and sometimes also twenty five to be honest, huh? uh, you need to make a big effort to to relearn to 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 go back to somewhere to school. Um, so. Why would you do that? I mean, not only for the for, for the sake of pleasing your current employer, but also because it's kind of equipping you for your future. By the way, there's an interesting statistics coming from Germany, which shows that people who've been through an upskilling process have got uh, 40% less chance to be uh, in danger in the future. Uh, and, and, and this shows basically that uh, not only they have been enhancing their, their skills profile, but also basically they start relearning as a process and they keep learning. So basically, they, by by definition, they will be less in danger in the future because they keep learning. So which is exactly where we need to go to. Yeah, but it could be the question, Jason, you know, about, uh, well, why should I do this? Because if people are flying out afterwards, I did it for competition. Mm -hmm. And uh, you might know that joke, uh, which is very popular. And, and sorry for the auditor if you heard it about uh, the CFO and the CEO talking together about this topic and uh, the CFO looking at the bill of uh, upskilling in his company and talking to the CEO saying, you know, Joe, uh, you know, it, it, it's a bunch of money. I mean, why, why, why should we pay so much for people that might leave tomorrow? Mm -hmm. And the CEO looking at your CFO and saying, yes, but what if they stay? <laughs> so, so, so basically, uh, do we really have a choice? I mean, yeah. uh, because at once, what if they stay? But at seconds, if you are asking them to leave and you are not able to re-recruit, uh, we, are, we are coming back to the very first topic of... Uh, maybe 15 minutes ago about uh, we need people. Right. Right. And, and I, it, it sounds to me like it's a very human activity as well. Right. So you're, you're thinking about the future of the business and what it looks like a year from now, but you're also thinking about the future of the employee base you have and what their skills are and where they'll be a year from now. Like there's a very human component to this as well. There is a very human component, and you know, uh, sometimes I tend to think that uh, the, the few people we are helping in the company uh, on a yearly basis, uh, I remind you, five to ten percent, they are of course a critical part of it. But maybe the most important are the ninety to ninety-five percent looking at their colleagues, because basically we all know that through technology, through business transformation, etc., uh, our job will be, I mean, hit one day or the other. I mean, people are not stupid; they all know it. They, they read newspaper, uh, they are on the social media, they got friends. So they know the world is changing. And, and you know, if they are looking at their colleagues uh, being in, in, in difficulty, uh, their job is really at stake, and they see how the company is behaving, if we want tomorrow to uh, to keep those guys, I, I'm talking about the 90%, looking at the, the 10%, if we want to keep them engaged, um, uh, if we if we are looking at retention, as I said, I mean, maybe the, the upskilling as a side effect, which is extremely interesting in terms of retention and engagement. So you're right. It's very human. Yeah. And so the, the, let's talk a little bit about the process of, of upskilling, right? I, I think it's more, it sounds to me like it is a little bit more complex than just saying, all right, well, a year from now, I'm going to need a different style of employee. So let's get them a different training. Like what, what is that? What is that process? How does a company start and, and what are the kind of the steps to go through that? Yeah. So basically, it's, 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 it's very straightforward, but uh, there is a logic in everything I'm going to tell you. Um, we've been talking about looking at uh, the workforce planning one year down the road and really looking at job transformation. 
and not only at FTE. So that's the very first uh, step to, to engage with, um, looking at what are tomorrow's job, are they the same, are they augmented, and which are the new ones. So this, and, and then to go down to, to, to person, to individual people. Uh, the idea is to understand, is it Paul Louise or, or Max that's going to be uh, augmented or whose job will be disappearing next year? That's the first piece of information you need to do. And what we advise is to do it on an annual basis, because this, again, this is most likely the only horizon we can predict today with accuracy, going down to individual job, and mm -hmm. it's also fitting the personal uh, agenda. So first step is that. The second step, when you know that, and so you know it's Paul and Louise, which are I mean, triggered this year, uh, is to go down to Paul and Louise and understand their competencies, um, again, on the soft and hard skill. And it takes, of course, uh, some, some tooling to do that, because basically, uh, Doing that at scale is very different than do that for a few uh, a few hundreds of employees. So um, there is a process to, to do that. Mm -hmm. Then when you have this, um, the next step is to get an agreement with the Pauls and the Louise about their next job. Um, and in, the, in order to do so, what we advise and what we do, we are doing what we call job matching. Um, we don't do that uh, in a meeting room uh, with a bunch of people discussing and, uh, and, and bouncing left and right uh, for, for Paul and Louise. No, we do that with uh, AI tools. And we are kind of comparing the skill set of Paul and Louise with all available jobs to augment the new ones uh, in order to eliminate BAs and to make sure that uh, um, these, um, these topics of uh, uh, lack of imagination, to make sure that if someone's being an accountant could be a good data analyst, that the opportunity is spotted and that the opportunity is also presented to Paul and Louise in order to give them the opportunity to choose uh, really uh, for the job they, they, they are skilled for. Once you're there, uh, then I would say the, the, the most difficult part is done, and then you can switch to the last bit, which is uh, going to the training part. And even that one is not an easy one, to be honest, because you need to find training which are relevant for people that you could organize uh, according to their work schedule, uh, but also uh, of which uh, the quality of those training would, should be very high. Ideally, they should be certified so that uh, it has a value on the market. And there are a lot of material today available to do so. But still, for some certain skills, it's still today a little bit hard to find. But the market on the, on the training market is evolving uh, extremely fast. So um, if I'm coming back maybe once again on this uh, topic about, uh, I mean, this uh, assessment slash job matching, I think it's uh, maybe for the audience, it might be interesting to understand uh, what we do. Um, actually, on the, on, the, on the soft skills side, um, we are we are we are trying to uh, to get people through uh, tests um, which are making sense, but which are also easy to take, but also reflecting their their soft skills with a focus on learning agility. And um, and I, I mean to do that, we we got a very solid partner that you know very well. Um, and then we are looking at hard skills. Um, and on the hard skill side, um, well, this is something uh, some, sometimes a little bit difficult because. Each company has its different uh, hard skills, uh, being uh, a low firm or a plant, being uh, a firm in the food industry uh, or in, in the molding, you, you might reckon it's going to be a very difficult to test everybody. Mm -hmm. So what we are doing, uh, we, are, we are not focusing so much on the absolute level of people. What we found out is that the absolute level of someone being a specialist out of 10, being an 8 or a 6, at the end, doesn't matter that much. What we need to understand is, is it good at that or not? Or is it already doing part of this or not? So what we do here, and that might a little bit uh, uh, not very intuitive on the first glance, but uh, it, at the end it makes sense. We are asking people to uh, disclose by themselves 
uh, their hard skills. We are preparing for each company uh, a questionnaire reflecting their that specific company hard skills. But you are also asking uh, individuals to complete with their own stuff. I'll give you an example. Louise, she's um, she's uh, she's employed in a warehouse, mm-hmm. and and she and, and she's working with a forklift. But do you know that at night she is the queen of Photoshop? Mm-hmm. And you know the fact that she's the queen of Photoshop, uh, and she's also a gamer, makes that her IT skills somewhere might qualify her for a job which is very different from a warehouse lady. You know, so those skills we we don't capture in companies. We we have no clue that Louise is a is a, is very keen working with uh, Photoshop, and then she's a gamer. So that we need to capture in some ways, and we are capturing through. And so of course there is a whole communication that goes with it. So. We have the full stack of the hard skills. We got a very good and precise view on the soft skills. Um, and the combination of both is giving the view of Louis skills. And that we compare with the job description and the job requirements uh, of the future, the one one year down the road, which are available mm-hmm. uh, using that, uh, that the, the other tool we have on the on the AI side. Um, and that combination, it's, it's, I think it's a very unique setup which is really enabling company to do that kind of uh, uh, understanding people's skills and matching them with the, the, the jobs of the future at scale. And, and, and this is very important, you know, and that's why we also need to rely in, uh, with partners like you uh, to, to do this operation. Yeah, that, uh, this is all so interesting and it makes me think of your, your earlier career where you had a pretty diverse background, you know, how was, whether you called it upskilling or not, did you have this concept when you were, when you were running businesses and in, in, in other businesses, how did you deal with that in the past? Well, actually, uh, I kind of can, you have a very personal example. Um, When my father-in-law called me and asked me, Chris, I need you now to run the, 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 the car dealerships. Mm-hmm. I was kind of, I know nothing of this business, you know. Uh, right. Of course, I, I know business in general, but what do I know from from cars? You know, I like to drive them, you know, like <laughs> right. a lot of people. But right. um, I know there is a steering wheel and indicators, but that's it, you know, basically. So what I did, um, basically, I did what I'm now advising people to do. I I, I went back to school, so mm-hmm. I was working for a, one of the big German manufacturer. They have their internal academy, and I went into that academy, and I did some training in diesel engines. I did uh, training in uh, paint shops and in painting cars and the different type of paintings you could do. Um, and it took me something like, you know, most likely 20, 25 days. Of course, I will never be a mechanician. That's not the point. I will never paint a car. That's not the point. But in order to guide people through the process, in order to be um, incredible in front of a client, you need to have the basics and a little bit more than the basics. And that helped me really to kind of uh, understand, okay, what's what's really behind and when you open the, the, the I mean, uh, the trunk, what, what's behind, what underneath? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the first part. And then, of course, there is one part because here we are looking about somewhere either classroom today, maybe a part would be with Bedom in e-learning. Um, and then there is another part which is on the job training, which is extremely important, of course. And and you have people in corporation uh, doing part, uh, doing jobs which are, uh, yeah. You just need to to look at how they do in order to learn. You know that's just that's the the way that, that the way it works. And of course, in the car business, if you are looking about how to get uh, a stock to rotate and uh, how to look at uh, 
the spare parts, how to look at all the commercial, um, the commercial part of running a car dealership. It's a very specific business, you know, and, and car, car manufacturers and distributors, they have a very specific relationship. You just have to learn it. But if you put that all together, maybe in the first year, maybe I spent, I don't know, 50, 60 days to learn because basically that's a new business and there is no choice. If you have to, if you want to do it, you have to do it. Um, and, and it goes with something which is fundamental, which is individual motivation. And, you know, at the end, uh, there is something very specific in the process we design is that we are, and this is maybe also coming from uh, part of, partially from my experience, if you want people to really be motivated and engage in training, which by essence is already something which is not very comfortable, um, they need to have kind of a security that they're doing for something. I take an example. If I take again Paul and Louise and you go for those guys and you tell them, you know, they're going to be next year 20 jobs of data analyst, go for the training, qualify, and then you're going to pass interview next year and you see whether you get a job or not. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it means I have to make the effort. And if maybe I, the future boss likes me, and if I convince him, maybe I will have the job. Is that really something this, which is really uh, motivating a Paul and Louise? Well, you, you might think a little bit because basically they have a chance to have a job. But let's change the scenario now. Um, okay, Paul, Louise, um, we have seen your profile. Uh, we know you've got the competency to uh, to be data analyst. Uh, these are the skills gaps you have in order to fill the job. Uh, we're going to train you uh, in the next six months uh, to get those uh, competencies and skills. Um, and if you succeed in the training, we guaranteed you a job in uh, Joe's office. Mm. What do you think, Jason? What does make more sense? Uh, what is more motivating? Yeah, the, I think the 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 notion that that it's set up for me um, based on the training, rather than the notion that I have to interview for it and, and and test in. Indeed, indeed, and that's that's exactly what we are doing. You know, HR folks, they, we we always been dreaming about ROI on training. This mm-hmm. is kind of a, a very old phantasm of a lot of uh, HR folks. Is how mm-hmm. can we increase ROI on training? We do billions of investment in training. And, and sometimes we hardly know what's the return of this. In this case, maybe for the first time, if you if we are using this kind of process, we are almost sure that the ROI will be gigantic. We think, but that's, uh, that's I mean, our personal view, um, that the success rate should be uh, at least around 70%, 7-0, which is huge, which mm-hmm. is huge. We think also that we might have up to 30% of failure. In the first trial we did, and we did that uh, uh, already, uh, uh, a few times, I would say uh, more than 10 times already with different corporates. Um, our first results are above the 90%. I'm not sure it's uh, it's something we can reproduce at scale because maybe people were too fully uh, selected. So I think if we want to stay uh, uh, wise or so in, in expectation, uh, 70% success rate is already, uh, I think, a very, very good figure. I just, I, I love this concept from a... Um from an, an employee perspective too, right? Like it, th- this is really about helping people realize their their full potential. So they either have some hidden hard skill or some soft skill that we really can take advantage of in, in a different area of the business. So it, it makes me think a little bit about um, 
just your your view on um, employees at a company, you know, what what sort of advice would you give to people when they start their career, knowing what you know now with with what you do with companies and your personal experience? You know, what advice would you give to somebody starting their career? Well, I, I would say that um, <laughs> that might be a bit harsh, but um, try really to change job every five years, not mm. rotating employers but really your, your function. Uh, when I'm looking backyards of the different jobs I've been performing, uh, it's certainly up to 10 as well as I speak. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not working 50 years now. So uh, I think uh, really having the opportunity to enlarge your, uh, your, your, your portfolio of skills uh, to get uh, in different environments, um, really to, to be exposed to different cultures, but also to different uh, type of uh, clients, but also of fields. And you could do that in the same company. You could do that even in the same department somewhere. Uh, you can really flip from uh, from different roles uh, while staying uh, in, in the same company. That's not, uh, you don't have per se to change employer, but uh, really don't stay in, in comfort zone. When you really feel you are reproducing year after year exactly the same thing, learning nothing, there should be kind of an alarm bell ringing uh, and saying, hey, hey, time, time to evolve, time to do something. Um, when it's too comfortable, uh, sometimes it's too nice to be true. Yeah, I, I think that's great advice, and I and I think it's um, also difficult to to get somebody to do right. You had mentioned a little bit ago that no one really likes change. So, so what are your you know when you go consult with organizations and you think about that advice and you look at their potential to upskill employees, how do you make that a safe? environment and a, and a safe concept for employers to talk about with employees because I can see that that might be a, a challenge right it's it could be a scary conversation for someone so how do you make that a safe conversation well that's 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 a very good point um, you know uh, we were in times and I, I hope I, I'm, I'm, I I should speak in the past tense uh, where usually change were kind of uh, mm, kept in, in, in by management almost until the last minute. And when everything was ready, then we were reading the information and then we were announcing the change to folks, um, which usually was coming as a surprise for many or not, because uh, maybe the competition has already done the same, so be, uh, done the same, so basically uh, you knew it would come, be coming one day. What, what we advise basically is, um, you know, Again, uh, people are not stupid. They read newspaper and they have colleagues, nephews, whatever. They know change is everywhere. So being transparent about change and being transparent about the evolution of things and communicating about this is really preparing minds and corporates. Um, if you're really open about, you know, our business model is evolving, we're going to go for automation, we're going to go for this and this, but at the same time, we're going to expand in field A, B, and C. We're going to do this and this and this. And guys, we're going to also help you to go through the path, well, then, then the conversation is become is becoming much more easier because first, it doesn't come as a surprise. People know uh, companies changing. The, the management has been kind of transparent. Uh, and, and I know you can't say everything, but if we are already releasing 80%, it's already a lot. Um, and and people are, people's minds are prepared. So basically, when you're engaging with a conversation of this kind, you can always refer to, you know, remember, uh, we've been discussing that already last year in our annual meeting. Uh, I was talking with you about that in our in the, the two last discussion we had together. 
So nothing new here, Paul, Louise, nothing new. So it's just a follow-up of the conversation. And basically, it's just normal business. You know, what we need to get to is that this kind of event becomes a non-event. This is usual business. We are evolving. We are changing. But that's normal because the only thing which is sure is that we're going to change. So basically, let's make this usual business and make sure that for people, it's usual business. What is usual business? Emotion level is going down. Um, and basically, preparation of people's mind is there. So um, what's wrong today in many uh, organizations and many uh, environments is that we are dealing with this as an exception. It should not be an exception anymore. It's going to be a rule. But because anyhow, it's going to become the rule. Yeah, I, I love that point of view. Thank you for for having that point of view and sharing that point of view with us because you're right. The only the only constant is change and, and what makes us successful is how we deal with that. And upskilling can be a big a big part of that. Thanks for the time today. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to um talking to you in the future and and hearing, you know, more success stories and and perhaps even have you back to tell some of those success stories for us. So thanks very much, Christian. I really Really, really appreciate it. My, my great pleasure, Jason. Uh, see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Talent Playbook Podcast with our guest, Christian Scharf, partner of People and Organization at PwC Luxembourg. Want to learn more about Christian and upskilling? First, I'd suggest picking up the book, Upskill, Six Steps to Unlock Economic Opportunity for All by Laurent Probst and Christian Scharf. You can also find Christian on LinkedIn. His last name is spelled S-C-H-A-R-F-F. You can hear more about upskilling on the PwC Luxembourg Tech Talk podcast, Keep Calm and Upskill. You can subscribe and download this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and Outmatch.com in the now streaming menu. Thank you to Christian for his time. And I'd also like to thank Yuta Fennel and Paramita Chakraverti at PwC. Thanks also to our friends at the C-Suite Network for their support and distribution, especially Mitch, who keeps me moving forward. Thanks to Chris Gardner for the technical production and for creating the Talent Playbook Podcast theme music. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast and please rate it and even leave a comment. Not only do we like the feedback, but it helps others find the podcast too. Until next time, this is Jason Ferrara saying, thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.